Alaska's newsmakers. Action Line, K-I-N-Y. To Action Line on K-I-N-Y. I am your host, Jordan Lewis, and joining me in the studio today, I have three folks with me from the Department of Labor and Workforce Development. I have Joshua Warren, Tracy Ferguson, and I always want to say either Kareen or Karina Weebold. Which one is it? My brain's, my brain's fighting me right now. It's Karina. Karina. See, my brain wanted to throw an E on there, and I don't know why. But how are the three of you doing today? Terrific. Great. Yep, great. All right, and it is good to have you all in here because you guys are my big source of sort of economics kind of information, how I can assess some of those things. So the big theme of this month's Trend Magazine is looking at the fishing industry. So I do want to start uh, with Joshua's article first, which is looking at the decline in fishing jobs over the last year. So where would you like to start with that? Uh, just the the harvesting jobs have continued to go down ever since the pandemic. We had sort of thought that there might be a spring back like other industries have seen after COVID, and there just hasn't been one in fish harvesting. Okay. And now I was looking at some of the – because you included a graph here that looks at sort of the jobs by species in line with their sort of pre-COVID levels. And the, the thing that caught my attention most was seeing that jump in, in herring jobs. Because when you think about herring, that's not a big – I would say that's not a very big commercial fish in the eyes of a lot of folks. Why did that one jump up? It had been relatively small, even for it, before COVID. It had had some rough years with some, like, not enough for harvests. And then it just has started to come back sort of opposite of all the other fisheries. Uh, It only, like, on average for the year, it's a very small amount of jobs, but it is growing quite a bit. I think at the peak, it has about 600 people working in it. Okay. And then by that same metric looking at it, it looks like shellfish took the biggest hit at all. looks like almost 30%. Am I reading that right? It does look to be about 30%. And it's just continual, uh, some closures and just lack of activity in some of those fisheries. Okay. And so when you say that sort of, you know, the closures, that leads me to sort of ask the question is, does that factor in some of the sort of larger scale environmental factors that could be at play there? And then as I kind of talked to you before we started the show today, you know, I was going through some of the climate change impacts, kind of stuff like that. And, you know, those put a risk on, you know, crab and shellfish species. And so could those be playing a role or do you think there's other sort of larger factors at play? It does seem there's a large swath of scientists who've seen a lot of evidence that especially the snow crab out in the bearing has seen part of its devastating loss in stock was due to like the heat blob that was a few years ago and just warming waters not working well for that species just increasing their need for calories and increasing their predation so definitely that has had some impacts on harvesting employment in the state okay and now I'm looking at sort of the, the specific number amounts here for the, the jobs overall, not just the specific species jobs. And it looks like you mean the share of jobs dipped to about 6% of the overall jobs in the state. Is that, am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, we used to be around 7, 7.5, and now we're under 6. And that's in the summer, so that's July. So that is the most that it will ever be a part of Alaska's share of uh, employment. When you put it with processing, we're over 10%, which a lot of people, like, it obviously fits really well together since the fish that are being caught are being processed. Um, but it, especially with the return of tourism, taking a lot of that summer share has really, like, declined how much it is. Okay. And now, sort of speaking more on that front of it, do you think that, 
that is a stark contrast to how things were pre-COVID? Like, do you think that was a higher share of jobs pre-COVID, even with tourism? Or do you think really because we're having this sort of, I think the the term I heard in another interview was like rage tourism, where they're actively doing more tourism because they couldn't do anything. Do you think that has caused that sort of larger shift in where those jobs are going? I think tourism probably would have continued to gain uh, regard, like if COVID had, hadn't happened, I think fishing would have been losing some share just because it's been keeping going down. Uh, when it was, when they're both sort of equally gaining, it was probably going to stay still, but it has been on decline even before COVID. Okay. Now my next question for you is what region would you argue has been the one that's sort of been hit the hardest with these loss of jobs? That would definitely be the, the Yukon area. They had about a thousand people working in seafood and salmon harvesting before their stocks started to plummet and now they don't have any in 2021 so it's been very devastating like every year they've had at least 50 percent decrease in jobs next year it won't be much of a decrease because they don't have anything left to lose in the region okay um and i'm glad you had said that because i was looking at that actual graph for it earlier in, you know, and you chose it comparatively for a number of different regions, and just seeing the Yukon take such a hit like it had back in, uh, looks like the biggest hit was between, I would say, 2018, 2019. Actually, no, more like 2017, 2019 was sort of the biggest hit for that. But knowing that even now it's just taken a huge hit. Now, what is interesting to me is seeing that the sort of northern workforce is actually seems to have increased a bit, comparatively speaking. Yeah, they've seen some... Uh, gains that are sort of uh, not near like the other regions. They've seen increases in their salmon, which is very unusual for this year, and their crab fishery is actually doing quite well, uh, where the Aleutians in is not. Okay. Now, I see that we as Southeast, because obviously we broadcast around all of Southeast, we lost about 6.5% between uh, uh, between, but uh, during the last year. Yeah, the peak we dropped about 700 jobs, and it's about 100 jobs on average. We have about 1,500 annual average jobs, which is what we're trying to emulate with this study. Okay. Now, break down for me a bit more. How do you actually, like, how do you calculate these jobs? What do you use as the metric to be like, this is how many jobs are in each region? So we get information from the uh, government sources that do fish harvesting, like Fish and Game and NIMFs. And they have, tell us how many times a boat lands every month or brings in fish. And we have an estimate or sometimes a hard number for how many people are working on that boat. And so that we can tag a boat for a month and how many people they had fishing and those were the jobs they provided. So it's getting more and more, like, less estimate and more accurate as more and more fisheries are just giving us, like, they're literally telling us how many people are on their boat. But that's how we generally estimate it. Okay. Now, my next question is a bit broader, so it's actually kind of more directed to, towards all of you. I noticed that toward the end of this article, you're talking about you know, low, low prices and then also Russian sort of seafood flooding the market as well. And now that's going to be the big factors of, of this year or has been the big factors of this year. How do you think that might impact numbers potentially for next year? Or for say we were to do the same sort of study again, seeing how it impacted this year. What do you think might come out of that? I think looking at the few news stories I've seen about it, that it is going to drive numbers further down. It's always like the proof is in the pudding or something. People could say they're not going to come fish because the prices are so low, 
but some money is better than no money. So sometimes they say they're not going to go fishing and they do anyways. But there have been a couple where people have had like a bad summer fishery and they just figure they'll go home instead of stick around for a later fishery that year. So I think the signs from the reporting I've seen show that it's going to go down. I don't know how much, but there's not a lot of positive signs in the fisheries uh, other than herring. Maybe herring will continue to grow even more. There's a lot of kind of fixed costs for fishermen. So if you think about like they've bought their boat or they're paying on their boat, they have an expensive permit. And so that's something that they're not going to be able to use either of those two resources in really a different way. So there's some reasons to think about the sunk cost of fishing and what, like the reasons why they would go out even if price is uncertain or potentially quite low. Other things though that could kind of like maybe influence their decision would be prices for all the food that they stock and the people that they're paying to go out with them, the crew, and then gas prices because they've got to gas up those, well probably diesel is a better (laughs) word to say it, diesel up those boats and that can be really spendy and gas prices have changed a lot in the last couple of years, really fluctuated. Gotcha. Those are definitely all fair arguments. I would, uh, in my nature, to be somewhat somewhat positive and lighthearted, and you say the proof is in the pudding that they'll go for the money. I mean, I think the herring is a perfect example of that, because like I said, when you think herring, that's not exactly the big sort of fishing industry that I think of, so seeing that that is someone that is seeing uh, an increase in jobs just shows that if there is there is going to always be that need, and so you'll people will adapt and find new ways mm-hmm. to get what they need to get done. Now, we are going to move into the break, and then after that, we will move into your article, Tracy, which is looking at the decline in fishing deaths. So we're going to get positive on an admittedly somewhat dark topic, but it is a positive turn for said topic. So we will get into that when we come back. You are listening to Action Line on KINY. And we are back with more Action Line on KINY. Now, toward the end of the first half, I did tease the next article, which is that the deaths of of fishing have declined and so tracy that is your article and where would you like to start with that well i think it's good that there were some studies done there they're a little bit older studies but there were a lot of um legislation and laws passed that increased commercial fishing safety throughout alaska and i think that that's reflected in the numbers and the fewer deaths and the decreases and fatalities related to commercial fishing over time Growing up in Petersburg, it was really common to hear uh, when I was younger about commercial fishing fatalities. Um, And so it's good that there were implementations that really looked at that and said, hey, what can we do to make this a safer occupation? And definitely the Magnuson-Stevenson Act plays a huge role in that. Um, Also, the Coast Guard's uh, Commercial Fishing Vessel Safety Act played a huge role in all that. And switching over to the quota systems, which people might have, fishermen might have controversy with, but it's it's increased safety. And it wasn't really intended to be a measure of safety as much as a sustainability effort, but it did play a role in safety. Okay. So talk to me about the, the, the Magnuson-Stevens Act, because I see that happens in the 90s, and that's where we see the largest drop in on the graph that you've provided me with here. Yeah, so that um, it has a national standard 10 to which all fisheries management plans conform with the intent possible to the safety of life at sea. Um, and a lot of things came out of that. It's overseen by NOAA. And um, basically, they needed to come up with better ways to keep fishermen safe on the job. The Commercial Fishing Vessel Safety Act came out before that. In 1995, the quota systems for crab came out. 
in 2005, it came out for the Aleutian Island and the Bering Sea. Um, the Aleutian Island and the Bering Sea also had a dockside safety and stability checks program, which leaded to their decreases in safety. But part of the Magnuson-Stevenson Act also affects um, the way that fish and game operates with the Alaska State Troopers and making sure there's safety measures being done in certain areas, but they also don't want to duplicate their efforts. So, Gotcha. And I think, obviously, one of the big things here is that this has gone down by that, you know, f- greater than 50% over a three-decade time span. So these were still changes that took quite some time to f- be fully implemented. Yeah. So, sorry to get back to the National Standard 10. Um, they have... Um, I'm trying to explain this. They have management councils for each fishery in the United States, and the North Pacific Fishery Management Council oversees Alaska, and they develop fishery management plans for each fishery in the state and how they're conducted. And the plans are then submitted to the U.S. Secretary of Commerce, and if approved, then they're enforced, and there are several regulatory bodies that go and make sure that they're conforming to the regulations set forth for that. Okay. Now, I know it didn't, it didn't appear to be included as a graph in here, but I was a bit curious if you might be able to have the information for me. Uh, when you were getting that sort of information on the actual uh, fish harvesting deaths, do, what, was that broken up by region or was that just a t- generalized total? That was a generalized total. It wasn't even generalized. They were actually total death numbers for commercial fishermen in Alaska for the years that, for those years. Okay. So they weren't broken down by like different region at all? No. Okay. I was curious about that because I'm like, okay, well, I see a total number, but then it would make me curious if there was any particular regions that were more or had more deaths or not, because then that could lead into, okay, well, then what were the factors that helped to decrease that? Well, the Bering Sea and Aleutian Island crab fleet had a large number of deaths, but once they changed to um, a quota system or the dockside stability check program, let me, it went from about eight per year. The next year, there was one fatality. So they were coming from different areas after okay. those implementations. Okay. Now, I, I have to once more reveal, I grew up in Anchorage, and therefore I'm classed as a city kid. So talk to me a bit about the quota system. Okay. So basically, there's a certain amount that fishermen are allowed to catch as a quota. And once they reach their quota for that fishery, they're done. Um, and there's a there's a lot that goes into determining that quota with how long they've been a fisherman, how much they bought for quotas. Uh, it takes it away from a derby-style race where they just go out and get as much fish as they can in a certain amount of time. They do have openings, but they generally have more time to catch their their product. Gotcha. So by putting now I can see where the controversy in that from a uh, it's-your-livelihood perspective comes into play because if you're stuck at a quota and you right. don't think you have enough now, you, there's nothing you can do about it because you've hit the cap. Right. Okay, but you feel like that that has also played a substantial role in helping decrease those fatalities. Yeah, because it gives them more time to go and harvest their catch as opposed to just running out and getting as much as they can and continuing to go nonstop. They have a certain set limit that they can get. They can go for it all at once or they can take the whole opening time to get it. Okay, so by having that cap, it's like, okay, we can either sort of space this out and let's potentially have their overall safer overall harvest or we can try and bust this all out now mm-hmm. which could be more risky but then we hit the cap sooner Correct. okay okay now 
My next sort of question for you is, I also see that you've marked on here that multiple, there's been multiple layers of fish and game measurements measures as well. Talk to me about those. Well, they will limit openings in certain areas depending on weather. They will op- have the openings only for daytime hours. They have set net rates and set, I'm sorry, set net lengths for uh, like gill netters and stuff like that. They will let the um, wildlife troopers know where there's a lot of fishermen congregated so that they can have their presence in that area in case there is any kind of vessel disasters or something to look for. Okay. Now, my next question for you is really, I'm curious, has this kind of study been done before for Alaska, or is this kind of the first one? No, there has been a study like this that has done before. NIOSH did a study, and a lot of the data came from NIOSH. And there's just, NIOSH was probably the most inclusive that covered various different kinds of fisheries. It doesn't seem like there's been all-inclusive to cover all of Alaska fishing in one, um, one study. Okay. Now, my next question for you is, if this study was to be done again, what were some things that you would want to have added on to this? Well, I would want to see how the um, the measures that were implemented for the trawlers actually um, affected safety of commercial fishing long-term over time. And I think it would be good to look at the uh, southeast salmon fisheries a little bit more. Um, gill netting has some some hazards, and I don't think that those were really studied too thoroughly. Um, Also, maybe southeast crabbing. They really covered the Bering Sea and Aleutian Islands because that was a large amount of fatalities for Alaska for a long time. It's considered the deadliest catch. It gets all all this attention, but I think that a lot of the southeast and salmon fishermen in the Bristol Bay area also also should have that looked at for safety regulations. And that's why I had brought up, like, do we have specific region kind of information? Because, yeah, like, when you think about, you know, fishing fatalities, for a lot of folks, they might be thinking, you know, that deadly is cash type situation. But then for those folks that have those families that are in those kinds of, that do that actually as their, their work or live in those kinds of areas, that's not the reality of the situation all the time. Yeah, in the studies for freezer trawlers and freezer long lines, liner vessels was somewhat abbreviated, but they have a lot um, more potential for hazards just because they're processing their catch on board their vessels, and they have the freezer. Ampl- they, they, I'm sorry, they have the freezers, which causes different gases exposure and a lot of other potential hazards. And their long-term studies weren't really looked at too thoroughly. Okay. Now we don't have too much time left here. I think we actually. Yeah, we do not have a lot of time. So, Karina, I want to give you another opportunity to to participate here because I haven't given you a lot of time to talk here. Well, thank you. I love talking. Um, So I would say one thing to add to what Tracy was telling us is that um, this kind of a cause and effect sort of study hasn't been done for a while and we're due for another one. It would be great. But we do collect data on fishing fatalities on an ongoing basis. So we have that data series going back quite a ways. And we're paying attention to every fishing death in Alaska. So we have that. And then the other thing I would say is that this article does a really good job on concentrating on regulatory changes, but there's been a lot of other changes that have been taking place since the 90s, too. So think about our communication systems and our weather apps, basically. There's two additional ways that fishermen can be more safe than they were in the 80s and 90s due to technology. 
Okay. Well, on that, that does actually wrap up the show. Uh, I would like to thank all three of you for coming to chat with me. I always think it's good to check in with the Department of Labor, and I will be checking in with the Department of Labor again next month, and we'll be seeing what the, the topics hold for that. I'm sure it'll be very interesting. But thank you all for coming in. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for having us. All right. You've been listening to Action Line on KINY. Action Line. Weekday mornings. Action Line. If it happens in Southeast, you'll hear it on Action Line. KINY.